Bike Triathlon Show 286. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Björn Kafka. Björn is a German cycling coach and endurance sports coach at the very highest level, and working with many world-class cyclists in particular. He's also an expert in metabolism and metabolic calculations and uh, is involved in Aerotune and uh, is uh, the man behind the Aerotune power test, which uh, gives athletes access to metabolic testing with a testing protocol that can be done remotely, but with really in-depth information as a result of that, that can give you a deeper understanding of your own physiology. So in this interview, we dive into lots of topics, including metabolism, testing, but also just general general training from not necessarily only a metabolic and testing perspective but equally so just from Bjorn's coaching experience perspective so uh, a great multifaceted uh, interview and I really really enjoyed chatting to Bjorn but before we get into the interview a big thanks to our sponsors first we have Roka that are the world leading manufacturers of wetsuits trisuits swimskins goggles high performance eyewear and prescription glasses and sunglasses Roka started out as a wetsuit company and uh, put a gun to my head and if I had to answer which is my favorite Roka product uh, I would uh, without hesitation say that it's the Maverick X2 wetsuit but Roka has wetsuits for suitable for every level of athlete and every uh, budget for wetsuits from the entry-level Maverick Comp 2 to that Maverick X2 model with everything in between including also having a thermal wetsuit for colder water swimming and a swim run wetsuit for those interested in the fantastic and really fun sport of swim run all of Roka's wetsuits have their patented arms of technology. Uh, they are based on premium materials and lots of other bells and whistles that you can read about on the Roka website. And uh, the Roka's wetsuits are trusted by athletes such as Javier Gomez and Lucy Charles Barclay and uh, are really, really top quality. You can go to roka.com forward slash TTS and get 20% off your order on Roka's wetsuit or wetsuits or any other Roka products. And thank you to Sen8 that you can find on sen8swimtrainer.com. The Sen8 Swim Trainer is an inflatable bench that you use in conjunction with stretch cords. So they can do basically stretch cord exercises, but in the in a position that mimics the actual swimming body position with laying down rather than standing up. And also uh, having you activate your core through the stability element that comes from being on an inflatable, uh, slightly unstable swim bench. And as well, working on a high elbow catch due to the design of the height of the swim bench. The Senate Swim Trainer is designed to be used as an adjunct to pool and open water swimming, not meant to replace it. And uh, But it can add a greater frequency of stimulus to your swim training by doing some pretty short and effective workouts. And actually, SenateSwimTrainer.com recently added a new training page where you can find several of the great workouts that the Senate team have developed uh, all gathered on one page including one brick workout so that is a really cool additional feature that is difficult to do although it can be done in the pool environment if you have special access to the pool but very difficult to do a swim bike brick workout otherwise but with the Senate swim trainer you can do that from the comfort of your own home. 
you can get 20% off your Senate Slim Trainer, which is uh, roughly the price of a pair of uh, good running shoes on senateswimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. Now, without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Bjorn Kafka. Today's guest on that triathlon show is uh, Bjorn Kafka. Bjorn, good morning. How are you doing? Yeah, thank you. Fine. Sun is shining, finally, in Munich, so all is good. <laughs> yeah, you're calling in from, from Munich, uh, where you're located. So uh, other than that, uh, can you give us an introduction to who you are, what your background is in endurance sports, and uh, and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Yes, uh, I try to. So, um, of course, as everyone in this field, I think uh, I have an endurance sports background. So mine is cycling, especially road cycling and a bit of cyclocross. Um, I did it, didn't study sports science or biology or something like that. So um, I studied Scandinavian studies and uh, Islamic studies due to the fact I was um, uh, yeah, a child of 9-11 things. So when I stopped uh, or when I finished school, 9-11 um, happened. So I thought uh, that's a good idea to study and understand these kind of things. And um, I did that. And of course, cycled a lot and uh, did a lot of races and uh, also visit some lectures in sports science. And um, after I study, uh, I finished my study. So you can go to the kind of secret service or CIA in Germany, become an agent, or you end up in journalism. So I ended up in journalism, which is quite good in in, in Hamburg. And um, and uh, um, I also did some writing for sports magazines for a, a magazine that called it's called Bike Magazine. That's the biggest mountain bike magazine in Europe. And uh, so after a few months of working freelance, they gave me an opportunity to work there as an editor. <clears throat> so I did that um, for some years, six years, and um, but uh, it it became a, a bit boring to be honest uh, because. Every year you have the same kind of things you're writing about. It's kind of seasonal thing. And um, so um, I wrote some books uh, and uh, things like that. So and uh, after six years and my first child was born, I thought maybe I should do some other things. And um, so I started working freelance. And uh, with a, a friend of mine, I, I I started a small company in endurance sport. Uh, and uh, he's from Cologne. And uh, he was, uh, or he's uh, pretty good in uh, metabolic um, testing and calculating things. So, and we started to train athletes. And uh, I, I did that before, um, also with some quite good races. Uh, and there was quite a good team in, in Germany with a lot of um, talented riders. So I, I worked there just for fun. And so we had this company. It started in a garage and that became quite successful and uh, but uh, <laughs> to be honest um we were quite good in coaching and calculating but very bad in all the other things so um being a ceo of a company that is uh, that's not my my best strength to be honest so and all the uh things with finance and stuff like that. So we were pretty horrible in that. <laughs> For, forget to send invoices for months and yeah, things like that. So, but anyway, um, 
the workload become uh, became very high and uh, um, so at a certain point i said okay actually i also have a family so i stopped and i sold my shares and he continued and is now working at the uh, german cycling federation very successful and uh, i i took a year off and uh, i started a new company with an old employee i worked there and uh, trained the coaches there and uh, developed um the metabolic calculations that we will talk a little bit later on. And um, and uh, also there I sold my shares because this company is more um, um, into the health business, which is absolutely fine. Um, but um, I like more like the professional side. And um, that's why I also teamed up with Aerotune, uh, with Sebastian Schlurke that I know for quite a while, actually. Um, because we have like a hist our historical background is that we were in the same clubs in northern Germany, so we met like twenty five years ago and listened to a lot of alternative, hardcore rock, punk music. So that's it. That's me. Nice, yeah. And uh, <laughs> Sebastian Schlurik has been on the podcast before. It was a while ago, and I actually I should have looked it up, but I'm going to uh to google it now which uh, which episode uh was that in <laughs> that was uh episode 90 uh was uh, sebastian schlurike okay. so anyway uh w one thing that uh, well you mentioned there that you that you did uh coaching and and uh, metabolic testing one thing you didn't mention that my research tells me is that the coaching that you did some of it was at a very high level like having uh, world championships, uh, world championship titles and medals, and the European championships and medals, and so on. Uh, so really, really high level cyclists that you work with in in road and uh, mountain bike, cyclocross, and and track. I I think even a one hour uh, record. Uh, I believe. Yes. So yes, uh, is is there? So basically, yeah, you've been working with a lot of really high level cyclists. Uh, is is there anything you want to give us an example from from those uh, those merits? Um, um, yes. Yeah, so, um, I, I, usually I'm, I'm not the guy that is using the megaphone and calling out how successful I am. And maybe sometimes that is not so good. Um, but that's how I am. <laughs> I like to be a little bit in the background. So currently I'm, I'm working with, for example, uh, with one athlete, it's female athlete is her name is Gudrun Stock. She's riding in the, um, uh, uh pursuit and on the track and, uh, she developed quite nice over the last two years from being like a national rider and um, having some problems and now is like one of the strong forces in that squad and uh, they finished third in the last world championships and now they are heading to the olympics in tokyo and um, yeah the, the goal is to to get a medal there and this is a absolutely possible so and um yeah yeah, let's, for let's, example, and and but my background is a little bit more in, in mountain biking, so and and marathon mountain biking, so and uh, yeah, I had quite successful times there, and yeah. still have. So, but that's it. and and, <laughs> and did did you did you say that you also have coached some triathlon at some point? Yes, um, um, actually, more for fun. Some some good athletes. Be be I'm be honest. I I don't doesn't have any clue about swimming. So uh, always when I, 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 I coach a triathlete, I always tell them, okay, you need a swim coach. <laughs> I'm bad in that because it's so it's so much technique in there. You have a very dense water. So everything you do falls in there. So it leads to excessive amounts of energy use. Um, so um, 
and I don't want to stay beside a pool, and so that's quite boring for me. And uh, running, um, I love running, but I'm pretty bad in that, but I can calculate these kind of things. Um, and cycling is actually my main thing, and I'm, uh, I'm good with that, yeah, I think. Yeah. All right. Well, that, that sets uh, us up nicely with some context uh, for this discussion. And as you said, we will talk a lot about metabolism and, and testing and things. But before we get to that, I want to ask a more uh, general question. And uh, based on your testing and coaching experience and your time in endurance sports, can you give examples of what you think are, let's say, the three most common mistakes that endurance athletes tend to make in their training? Um. Yes, <laughs> the first thing is uh, eating too little and maybe doing some crazy low-carb things. Uh, so this is actually uh, one of the biggest problems, especially if something is kind of trendy. And um, so um, a lot of uh, maybe the trend is like going backwards a little bit from low-carb. I'm happy with that because uh, I saw a lot of athletes kind of falling apart also high level athletes you always have to keep in mind that maybe high level athletes are not really into sports science they don't have a clue they are very talented and they did a lot of things right because maybe they had some good coaches and they have like a good gut feeling but uh um yeah so eating too little or eating too much low carb will lead to not the best performance in the world and um, so in, 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 in brief parts of time, it can be useful, but most of the time, yeah, just eating. And the other thing is working on the weak link. So what's in, in triathlon, we have a lot of things we can work on now. So maybe you have a bad running technique. You actually should work on that. Um, everyone has a tendency to work on things that they like. Of course, I like riding VO2 max intervals because I, for example, have a high uh, a glycolytic power. I can do that a lot. Huh? So, and uh, um, starting with, for example, if you take running, um, starting with like uh, learning new running technique takes time and it's boring. You do like half an hour and it's like, oh, yeah, I want to do 20 miles or something like that and not like jogging for 45 minutes in on the ground and doing some high cadence things and like that. So working on the weak link, I think it's one of the, um, the, the, the things everyone should look on. And the other thing is, um, I see that with, um, in, in triathlon, we would call them, um, age groupers, um, uh, the right st life stress balance. Um, this is, uh, in, 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 in high level professional athletes, this aspect always came or comes when there are children involved. So you have to, to get that around your training uh, or maybe, yeah, to, to have like the right stress balance. And, uh, um, so being like, if you have like in, 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 uh, how to do, yeah, if you, if you want to achieve something, people think they have to work very individualized and being kind of egocentric, egoistic. But uh, um, on 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 one hand, that that will lead to to a lot of stress with family, and this is not beneficial. So having a good life balance—it sounds very simple, but I see that even in high-level athletes, if you have problem with your partner, this will end up not well. And the partner usually doesn't love you because you are high-level athletes. Uh, athlete, they usually marry you because you 
you're a nice person and not what because you're a world champion in triathlon or on the track or on the road yeah Mm, yeah. always keep that in mind <laughs> yeah so th those are all, all really really great uh great <laughs> things to <laughs> great things to think about uh now if we get into the metabolic side of things and uh, I mean, this was actually the reason i first contacted you and we started talking because you were on the endurance innovation podcast and you said uh, you had some interesting discussions there one thing that stood out to me was how you mentioned that The VO2 max of an athlete can be used to back calculate roughly how much uh, training load they should take on in terms of uh, kilojoules, for example, or or you can convert that to hours of training. So uh, so that was the first thing that that I reached out to you about, and uh, and perhaps we can start to uh, to discuss that as as the first question. So can can you describe that a little bit more? Yeah. So um, you have the VO2 max and. and milliliters and um, you can um, calculate the kilojoules you're using to produce this VO2 max or you can actually measure it uh, when you have a spirometry and stuff like that and uh, so the theory behind this is it's developed by Marder and uh, Alois Marder the professor and so you take a fraction out of that and uh, um, to get the, the best growth yeah and it's a It's about protein synthesis and stuff like that. So um, it's a little bit more complicated, but to make it easier. So you take a fraction out of that, a percentage out of the VO2 max, you could maybe use in a like lab environment on a cellular level. So for 24 hours, take a fraction out of that. And that's your kilojoules you can use per day to get the best adaptation. So all these adaptation processes are, if you look back in time, um, are um, um, from uh, the German biologist uh, Wilhelm Rusch, who described this kind of growth in um, the 19th century. And uh, so that's actually it. And this is a nice way to calculate uh, because you, especially if you do zone two training, base training, uh, um, you can, you see if someone is overreaching or not, but always it, keep in perspective that this guy is eating enough or this athlete is eating enough and uh, having a, a nice uh, uh, balanced life. Otherwise, uh, um, yeah, uh, too much stress will lead to other things. So this is only like on a cellular level. So what to do, what you have to do to, to, to get the best benefit and what's the minimum you have to do. But to be honest, on the minimum, you always have to take into account we all are born with a different genetic makeup. So I, I, a few days ago, Sorry for to say that. Maybe I hope I will not end up in jail. <laughs> um, I tested my son. He is nine years old, just for fun. So I designed a RAM test for for children. Um, and there's a study. Quite, I, I looked it up because I was curious and calculated and thought, okay, maybe that's forty VO two max. Oh, that's not too high. So I think my son is more talented now. To be honest, not <laughs> I'm not that kind of a, a, a parent. And uh, so uh, I calculated that thing, and I, I, I looked it up, and saw okay, they they did tests, and they start with three year old child uh, children, up to like when they fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, eighteen years old, and how the VO2 max is developing, and you have a big discrepancy because some start at very low levels, and some children are already very high so that's your makeup and um so what's the minimum to 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 hold that makeup um, um yeah some people 
hardly do anything. And they still have this gift. Uh, there's this uh, famous anecdote about Oscar Svensson, this um, Norwegian cyclist who already had like 70 VO2 max with hardly doing anything. Yeah. So these freaks exist. And uh, um, so, but uh, of course, a, a certain amount of energy you, you, you have to use to maintain the respiration of your mitochondria and develop a, a VO2 max and of course, stroke volume and all these kind of things. Um, so, but yeah, you actually can calculate the minimum. Yeah. yeah. So, so ba the basic theory is that is something along the lines of that if you if you do too much work as a percentage of what you yes. theoretically can do at your yes. at your VO two max, then the protein synthesis process won't be able to keep up, so to say, if yes. you put it in layperson's yes. terms. Yes. And yes. then you won't yes. see adaptation, or you will see maladaptation. Yes. So, can, can you but but in a, uh, sorry, in a training camp, of course, you always have like an overreaching. But yeah. then the nice thing is you can calculate how long it takes to recover from that. So that's um, because everyone is overreaching at some uh, certain points. You, that's that's part of the process. Yeah. So and uh, this is a, a, a handy tool uh, to to use. Yeah, sorry. Can, can you give some examples of if you like just roughly if you don't have numbers in front of you, but if if we have an athlete that has a VO2 max of 45 or 60 or 75 and they do base training mostly, uh, roughly how many hours would end up being sort of their recommended maximum? Oh, always depends on the uh, Vila max, of course. Sorry, I, 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 I use my uh, calculator. Wait a second. Um, so, for example, we have someone. Um, no. No, just wait. I can do it by heart. So, if you have someone was like um, seventy VO two max, and um, um, so he should train about two and a half hours, and uh, doing, for example, two thousand three hundred kilojoules a day, and uh, take that by uh, multiply that by seven, and then you have the kilojoules. So, it's so fourteen thousand. This is a lot. Yeah. So and then you see, okay, I am at, at at in base training. So what's my uh, power output there? And then you calculate that, and then you get a certain number out of that. So maybe I don't know, sixteen hours, and then you have roughly sixteen hours. But always look at the kilojoules because who is riding this power out output constantly? No one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And doing that indoor has some other uh, problems because you overheat and stuff like that. So usually if you say 16, uh, maybe it's like 18 or 19. Uh. Yeah. 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 Looking at, yeah, I, I created a table based on our discussion that we had earlier. Ah, very good. Uh, yeah. It's, and, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> and I'm looking here at somebody with a VO2max of 70 and get the, depending on slightly what the fraction is, but a kilojoule yeah. range of, 12 to 14 or 15,000 yes. kilojoules. Yes. And, and then if we can, let's say that the average that they're at 70, maybe they're riding at 200, Two, 210 yes. watts average. Yes. And yeah. uh, that would be 750 kilojoules per hour. I plug that into my little yeah. calculator. And then we get, um, let me see here. Uh, yeah, 15, uh, 15 to 18, 18 hours oh. or so. I was quite good by heart. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, and 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 I mean, just to give the listeners here, if we have somebody on the other hand who has a VO2 max of sixty and their average power is one hundred eighty watts, then uh, then we get something uh, something more like uh, around 
13 to to 16 hours or so yeah and and if we have somebody with a vo2 max of let's say 45 and their average power is 140 watts then we end up having uh let me see here uh, then the maximum that they should be doing is more like uh in the 11 to uh to 15 hours but that, so the hours don't change that much but that's of course because the the power now i've changed the power numbers here from yes. 210 to 140 yes. watts average yeah. but if you actually look at the kilo kilojoules then yeah. this uh 45 kilojoule athlete would do uh, 6,500 to 8,000 kilojoules a week. Yes. And, and the 70 VO2 max athlete would be doing uh, up to uh, up to 14 or 15,000 kilojoules. So, yes. so it's a very big difference there. So, and if you have someone with a low v- VO2 max and a very low VLA max, so they are able to ride quite fast in zone two, they hardly train <laughs> yeah yeah but they go quite fast <laughs> yeah yeah uh and another thing that i want to discuss around vo2 max with you is uh, ba- based on your calculations and your testing uh, what do you think about is it possible to assess whether an athlete is limited more limited centrally or peripherally so in their cardiovascular system or in their uh, in their muscles uh, when it comes to to vo2 max <laughs> oh yeah that's actually a quite complicated question um no i would always say as a coach you always have to look at the athlete and see how he responds uh, and um, um, if you do for example if you do a lab test and uh, with a mask on and uh, you see that there's uh, the, the 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 oxygen they consume or you also have like a pulse oximeter on the finger and you see you have s- certain kind of drops yeah um a two they are getting too low in oxygen saturation. Um, maybe you have um, a, a problem with like um, uh, uh, the uh, pulmonary um, diffusion in the lungs so that the blood flow is too high and we don't get enough air uh, air into the blood and uh, O2, O2 into the blood. And uh, so we have a problem there. So you can measure that in the lab. Um, um, um so uh, this is uh, one thing i'm always looking at uh, with high level athletes because this this problem uh, i see that not often but uh, at some athletes uh, you see that and then you have to send them to a special lab but you have first you have to explain the special lab what they should look on because this in, in normal humans yeah you don't see that so much so often so uh, this is one thing and uh, another thing is um how good is there if you talk about the central um heart rate recovery if you go hard how long does it take to drop and how 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 high is the percentage yeah um always keep in mind that you have to reach a very high level uh, uh, a very high heart rate yeah and then you you want to see a, a, a quite a substantial drop if you have not a very high heart rate because you're overreaching and then of course you have a low drop this is kind of a, a symptom for overreaching I think LeBeur showed that quite nicely in the study, and uh, so heart rate recovery. I always look at that. Yeah. Uh, and what, when, what does uh, what does heart rate recovery tell you if you have a good, fast, and big heart rate recovery versus if you don't have that? Yeah, that uh, you have um, um, actually you have a, a quite good uh, stroke volume, uh, okay. and this uh, athlete uh, recovers quite fast from exertion. Yeah. So yeah. Um, if someone has like a hundred ninety and drops like sixty beats. In a minute or 65, you know, okay, you have like an, 
metabolic monster in front of you. So, yeah. and if they, if this takes time and then, you know, okay, this guy is maybe not so fit. This is only like rough estimation. Yeah, of course. Uh, and, and then you have other things like, okay, maybe you see, okay, um, uh, in a lab, um, um that, uh, uh there's also some drops in, 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 in O2 usage. And maybe there's some problem with the, um, with the blood supply to the muscles. Uh, you can use an ox, boxy, for example, or a nearest technique to examine that. Look at the left, right, left leg and the right leg. And you see maybe there are some certain drops. And most of the times the athletes tell you that it's more like, oh, I feel like at threshold or uh, uh, if I do high talk, uh, sweet spot stuff that my left leg feels kind of numb and things like that. So, and, uh, oops, sorry. And, um, yeah, so I switched that off. Sorry, that was my mother. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, you have to look at that. And um, uh, so, yeah, this is one of the other limiters um, I, I see often, or not often, but uh, sometimes in, in athletes, yes. Yeah. How, how important do you think... Is it important or to to know whether you're limited centrally or peripherally, or are many athletes kind of balanced, so it doesn't really matter? What, what's your how how much do you use that in your coaching? Um, most of the time, if you work with high level athletes, the the central part is not so often limited. Uh, um, you look for um, um, yeah. You, other things yeah um, um you maybe do a blood check and look um, um how 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 is the b12 the ferritin always keep in mind uh, from with ethnic backgrounds uh, do these people have because they always have like different makeups and bloods there yeah? if you work with a high level kenyan runner <laughs> you see okay oh this is hb level is not too high but um, so um, um you always have to to look keep that in mind but a uh, blood check is always Look for the link, a uh, weak link there, uh, especially if you send someone to a high altitude training camp. Um, 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 yeah, so actually, yeah, it's, 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 if you look, if, if you work with athletes that do not train so much, um, the cardiac output always go, um, the, the, the volume cardiac output. So these are the, the first things, uh, you should work on. But hey, high level athletes, you look at, I look at other things. Mm, yeah. And, uh, and, and with regard to improving cardiac output, uh, for normal, normal athletes, normal amateurs, what sort of a high level training strategy <laughs> to, to approach that? <laughs> go long and go hard sometimes. Yeah, pretty simple. Yeah, and um, uh, look at your resting heart rate. That's a nice kind of an indicator of your stroke volume. Uh, yeah, if you see that over a year is going lower, then you have nice adaptations. Uh, and if you have a, a huge range of like from low to high, uh, if you have someone with like, for example, thirty-eight resting heart rate and two hundred one max, yeah, he's quite fit. Uh, yep, and so. Always look at the resting heart rate. It's quite a nice indicator. Awesome. 
Uh, now let's uh, discuss VLA max, so the maximum glycolytic capacity, uh, a little bit. And uh, well, first, this is something we have talked about several times on the podcast before, uh, so we don't need to make a like really detailed explanation, perhaps, because most listeners will be familiar. But can you do a brief overview of of what VLA max is, and then how it impacts performance as well, depending on what it is like, whether it's high or low or moderate. Um, yes, 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 of course. So always when we do um, oh, VLMX, um, it's often called the glycolytic power. So always when we use um, glucose, we always have like, a, we have the breakdown, we have lactate and pyruvate. And uh, so due to the level of lactate measured in uh, millimole per second, we uh, have the uh, VLMX. So the VLMX tells us um, how much carbs we use for a certain power output. And the other thing is maybe, to, to say it in kind of an easy words, um, how, um, uh, how how is your ability to maybe sprint uh, ex- explosive power and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, if you, to take it in easy words. So I, I, I used it in the other podcast, this analogy of uh, uh, Usain Bolt sitting on a tandem and uh, so you have a high power output there uh, uh, with Usain Bolt, but Usain Bolt always needs to eat the whole time. And uh, he needs, of course, a long time to recover after a short burst of power. So he's constantly eating your, your, your bars from your pockets. And because you're the Biotromax in, in this uh, kind of analogy. And uh, so that's uh, uh, Vila Max. Yeah. It's your, your power, so to say. Yeah. But also your limiter because Vilamex needs a lot of uh, carbohydrates. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you have a Usain Bolt sitting there behind you, then uh, then that's good when when you get to the sprint finish. But but when you're on a long uh, Alp Duez climb, then you kind of need to carry him, and uh, but and he just eats your gels out of your pocket. So so then it yes. can be a negative negative thing to have that Usain Bolt there. So that that was a nice analogy, and. Uh, <laughs> So, so we have talked before with in interviews with, for example, Sebastian Weber about how to uh, to test and assess VO2 max and VLA max and what it might mean. Uh, but one thing that uh, that you also mentioned in the Endurance Innovation podcast is that the really tricky thing and like important thing, of course, is to like knowing how to actually use. Like, if you do a test and you get your VO2 max and VLA max values, like knowing how to really use those values in yes. training so can you discuss discuss that a bit more yes yes so actually um this is one of the main purposes why uh, um, um uh, we we developed this tool and also the aerotune um, uh, power test and um, also to to show the people what is maybe the best training um which kind of intensities are beneficial and which not because now we we have this villa max um, is a term that is quite German, to be honest. Yeah, so it's 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 uh, Marder started with that in the late seventies, I think. Yeah, so it's uh, more like a, if you look at the historical background, so it's it's more like a quite German thing, and and, and now it becomes more like fancy yeah? uh, because um, uh, Sebastian Weber, um, who, who's doing a great job and uh, informs a lot of people about that, and um, 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 everyone knows. Okay, now we have the Villa Max. And but the next thing is what to do about that. And this is, um, I think, uh, uh, only knowing what it is is uh, actually half the truth. 
uh, you really need to know how to work with that. And what is uh, um, um, uh, what is the purpose? What do you want to achieve in long term and in short term in your sport? Yeah. If you have a cyclist uh, who is doing or he, who wants to compete in, sp in, 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 in sprint racing on the track, you have to work, work on this Vila Max that is going up. Yeah. If you have someone who's doing like classic spring races, you have to look, okay, it has to be balanced, uh, maybe 0.45 or 0.5 so that he's able to do short bursts of sprinting and attacking to catch a group. Uh, and, and triathlon, long distance, um, you have to maybe in a short term or if you want to go to a race, It has to be low. Of course, it has to be low. But um, is it always clever to to be very low all the time to develop certain kind of system? No, of course not. Yeah. Um, so you have to play, uh, or play is maybe not the right word. You have to 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 use Vila Max to get the adaptations you want. Yeah. So if you mm -hmm. want to 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 develop the VO2 Max, maybe it's more useful to work on um, um, uh, work with a higher Vila Max for a certain time yeah. yeah because if you have a very low vla max then you're super limited in in the amount of training you can do above threshold and then it's difficult yes. to also develop the vo2 max so you might yes. want a bit more of a buffer to allow you to do enough work to to improve vo2 max and then later when you get closer to a race you can you can start to lower vla max again um But so, so for a triathlete, uh, if we're talking numbers, what would be some typical values, uh, long distance triathlon, like half and full distance? What, what would you say would be good sort of target ranges for VLA max to be for, for a triathlete? Um, 0.5. Uh, no, no, 0.35. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and going down to maybe 0.2 something yeah. yeah so if you long distance so this would be good is, yeah. is there a difference uh, in vla max between males and females normally uh um i've seen it um especially after um, uh, um females um uh, gave birth yeah um so it's, it's quite fun um, the vla max uh, was quite low yeah and um um, um the big difference Maybe I, I haven't seen so many uh, numbers. So I, I, I also have, if you look at a track cyclist, a women's track cyclist, they still have like high Vila Max numbers. So, um, but uh, usually you see, maybe that's because of uh, we test more males. Uh, you have the males usually have more, um, a, a higher Vila Max. Yes. I yep. see that. that that's, that's what I've seen as well in, in my yeah. coaching. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, what else? So, I mean, I think it would be interesting to discuss a little bit around uh, what you mentioned there with the historical background and uh, and and VLAMX being a very German thing. Uh, can you maybe yeah. elaborate a bit a bit on that and like what is like how is is it established? Is it proven? And and what, <laughs> and if it is, why isn't it? Why hasn't it been more widely used in other parts of the world? Um, is it proven? Um, Actually, yeah, we can discuss it for some hours. Um, it, take it more like an, a theoretical um, estimation of um, your glycolytic power. Um, of course, you can do you can do a test, a fifteen second sprint test, take lactate and calculate then. 
Um, um, so this is one part. And if you look more like a, from a, a historical background, so Alois Mader, who was in uh, East Germany, um, uh, was, uh, uh, how's it called, um, fleeing, I'm not sure, um, to yeah, the uh, to yeah, West German. Fugitive, yeah. Yeah, fugitive to, to uh, uh, West Germany, worked there in Cologne. And um, if you read his book, um, Die Kiamere des Dopings und die Irrealität der Trainingswissenschaft, which would be something like a chimera of doping and the unreality of sports science. <laughs> and um, you see, um, he was not very um, popular in Germany. So maybe that took, it, it took quite a while to establish um, the, the, the Wieler-Max calculation. So, and Sebastian Weber was, in, in my knowledge, and uh, the, the first one who more like opened it up for sports science and he used it in, 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 in uh, to calculate and he was quite successful yeah and he was very successful yeah and if you look at um, the the early 2000s when he start with uh, I think it was HTC Columbia and things like that um, and, and he produced some world-class uh, time trial lists yeah, uh, with his calculations so um, yeah that's the first thing and um, and the other thing is because you can't really measure it and it's most of the stuff is in German. You hardly find any things in, in English. So we start now with that. And, uh, and there's a lot of mathematical calculations behind that. Yeah? And going from ATP, AMP and stuff like that. And so it, it takes some time to understand that. Some people are maybe afraid. It's not straightforward. It's not like VO2max, putting on, measuring it, then we are fine. And uh, VO2max always have like this historical advantage. AV Hill started like in 1920, something like that. And he de they developed a RAM test in 1927 or something like that. So and this is well established. Maybe it's like an historical thing. Yeah. So that's my assumption. Yeah. And um, yeah, so... <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's good. The, the way I've been, I look at it is sort of, uh, it is biochemistry and biochemical yes. reactions that are very sort of like we know what happens and it, it can be calculated, it can be simulated. So, so in that sense, it is, uh, it, it is like I guess the difference between I, I, it's it, it it works, but it's but it's something that is difficult to measure. It's the same thing with a lot of the things we have in, had in physics. Like you have yes. a lot of physical theories but then it takes some time to actually be able to measure them and that's why and it takes like billions and billions of dollars to build build like uh, linear hidden lhcs and and stuff like that yes. and you know, like yes. <laughs> kilometers and kilometers of tunnels in under cern to to prove some things and and maybe yes. we're not quite there yet where we can actually measure it directly but yes but that doesn't mean that the theory uh, underlying it is is incorrect because on a cellular level the biochemical reactions are are quite established so so yeah, i guess it depends on how you define proven but it's something that's useful it's like uh somebody said uh all all models are are wrong but some are useful and uh yes so, so yeah that i think i think that this is a useful model yes absolutely yeah and um of course there are some uh, high level um coaches who don't use it and uh, a lot to be honest and they are successful so um 
it's a nice way to know, but it doesn't mean that you need to know it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I, I, and I agree with that because you can, uh, I've, I've had that situation where I, some of my athletes I do test with, with like inside, for example, and have used VLA max and VO2 max and, and everything. And some other, I haven't for whatever reason. Uh, and, uh, and I haven't really necessarily seen uh, always uh, that, that it makes a difference because you can still, if you get to know the athlete, you can still see their sort of overall profile and and you yes. can make some some guesses and and even with some coaches that might not uh, at least like in in the old days like class old school coaches that maybe aren't great with physiology but they are super knowledgeable about actual coaching and anecdotal knowledge it's just about yes. knowing the athlete and having a really good gut feeling and a really good intuition and and that's another great way of of coaching if you're really really good in that way so there are many many ways to skin skin a cat yes um so so about vla max um now that it is becoming more popular as you said uh now it's getting out there in the media also i remember that jan olbrecht the belgian swim yes. coach he did write about it in his uh, book science, oh, of science of one great yeah. book yeah but uh but now that we've had it for a few years uh, do you hear any common sort of myths or misconceptions about it that you would like to explain or correct <laughs> Um, no, they, the, the most things that concern me is that people are using it to more like an, 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 an if a coach has it and use it more like a marketing tool. Uh, now I know I have Vila Max and I know everything. This is uh, uh, not true. This is there's no myth behind it. Yeah, uh, and because maybe I, I, I I'm like shut my eyes from that and um, not looking so much left and right. Maybe that's why. And um, um, But uh, the thing that concerns me is like, uh, I have this, someone saying I have this numbers and, uh, number and I know everything. So this is actually the thing that concerns me. So uh, I don't know. Do you have any myth uh, 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 you can think of? I, I think I think we discussed one already, that lower <laughs> is always better. And no, uh, yes, that's, yes. That's one I think is, is, is quite common. And I, yeah. that's actually something that I want to ask you about as well, because I think Jan Olbrecht mentioned that in his book, that if you have a very low VLA max, you also run a higher risk of, uh, of overtraining. Uh, yes. and, and is that something that you can comment on? Um, yeah, um, maybe if you have like a high, highly trained athlete, and imagine like seventy-five VO two max, and with like a zero point three or two five VLA max, so this athlete needs a lot of energy flux yeah, per per week, mm. and um, due to the fact that he, his zone two training is at at a quite high speed. He still needs a lot of carbohydrates, yeah. Even at, a, at these, um, 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 even if that that he is so efficient, so that can lead to um, under eating, and you have problems with the protein synthesis in, in in this area. So this this is what I see. If you are very efficient and you have like quite a big engine, VO two max, so to say, um, this can lead to um, yeah overtraining, overreaching, yeah, yeah, and they. So this is what I see. Yeah. But is but how is VLA max? If you have a higher VLA max and you have the same VO two max, then are you saying that because then you're, you're theoretically using more carbohydrate, but maybe you're going slower in your easy training? Is that the difference, or uh, 
how, what is the role of VLA Max there in the risk of overtraining? Um, um, because if you um, if you have a low VLA Max, your pyruvate deficit is quite high, so you're using a lot of fatty acids, um, and uh, you have the highest um, lactate use and stuff like that. And um, if, for example, let's make up an athlete, yeah, um, seventy-two VO two max and zero point three VLA max. So um, this guy maybe rides his zone two or fat max training at a power output of of uh, three hundred watts, which is quite substantial. Yeah? So he's quite fast, and but he he uses a lot of energy even from carbohydrates. So he actually needs to eat. For example, like 45, or depends on his, his, his body weight and stuff like that, maybe 50 grams of carbohydrates. A lot of athletes are not doing that. You yeah. have to teach them to eat. So this is what I see. And because of his high VO2 max, he's doing like 22 hours of training and always going quite fast. So they start to undereat, and the limit at 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 some point is, of course, a digestive system and things like that. Yeah. So you, you you need to eat and uh, think, yeah. But so but if this if, is if, it, <laughs> if, if this athlete has a VLA max instead of zero point three of zero point five, yes. What is the difference? Is there what is the difference? They then? go slower. They, they go, go slower. slower. Okay. They go slower. Yes. Yeah. Of course, they they have to eat more. Um, they constantly eat. Um, but uh, usually they go slower. Yeah. And, okay. No, that that makes yeah. that makes sense. But then, yes. I, and I I think a caveat here is that they go slower if the coach tells them to go slower. Yes. Because they this might is... not they might not automatically do that if they're left to their own devices. Yes. Oh, this is quite hard for some of the uh, uh, um, athletes. If they have zero point seven, you say them okay, you have to go at one hundred eighty watts. They are like, oh, come on, beyond this yeah. boring. Yeah, yeah. But you have to. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So one thing that I want to ask about as well is uh, your thoughts around VLA Max in uh, in running and swimming. Is it like mm-hmm. h- how can we use that when we compare it to to cycling and and perhaps train yeah. and and get adaptations in running and cycling? Yes. So um, uh, running and swimming. I said. I mean. Yeah, I, I'm not a swim coach, um, so I don't have much. Yeah, I don't know much about that. No. Um, so of course I, I read the, the books uh, from Albrecht and and, and, and uh, did some things in, in swimming. But if I train athletes, uh, triathletes, yeah, I, I always tell them get a coach and, and and learn the technique. And I think this is also in running. There's some truth in that. Yeah? Um, look at the running economy, and I think this is actually for me. It is more important than the Vila Max. Yeah. And uh, of course, I can measure the Mila Max in, 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 in running and calculate that. And sometimes, oh, you have like a low Vila Max and you think, okay, this guy is able to run like two hour, 40 minutes in a marathon, but he isn't. Why? So you have to look at the running economy. And if you keep in mind, um, 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 I, or I always have this picture in mind, looking at Jeffrey Kamora winning the New York Marathon. So at kilometer 20 or 30, all the runners look good. But at kilometer 35, only one guy look, look, looked good, and that was Jeffrey Kamara because he had like the perfect running style and the economy. So we are living, they are moving in a free uh, space. Yeah. So, and if they lose energy because of they do some funny movements or the elasticity of their tendons are 
getting yeah are not so good is not so good anymore um, they lose running economy and it's even worse in swimming so uh, from if you uh, have like a think like a pyramid yeah in swimming technique 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 in running also technique technique and then Vila Max, we can talk about that. And then cycling, because we are like on a fixed bike, it's it, it's easier. Yeah? You're yeah. not talking so much about technique. Of course, we also have the dis- discussions. Yeah, if you push quite hard and the saddle uh, is is not wide enough for you, and your seat bones are slipping over the saddle, you of course lose energy. Yeah, and uh, so getting maybe a bigger saddle and uh, to to prevent this loss of energy this can help a lot but these are like compared to running these are minor things yeah so um i, I always look at the economy and then you have nice measure uh, measurement tools like a stride who can tell you some some truth about the economy yeah yeah but that, that makes perfect sense that in the hierarchy of needs in swimming and and running it, it is much lower than than uh, than the economy and and also how sustainable the economy is so what is your economy when you start the marathon on an ironman like which is even different than just a, ma- a marathon yes. in itself yes and yes. and then uh, at the end of that of that marathon as well so yeah that, that makes makes very good sense um w- one thing i want to get to as well in terms of cycling training is how you use cadence and torque of course it's something we've heard a lot about in terms of vla max training but but you might have some other uh, tips and suggestions for using cadence and torque as well so feel free to discuss that topic generally and, and how you recommend using cadence and torque in training yes um in cycling for example if you um keep when i think about the I think it was Flesch Wallon, the race. If you look at the uh, women's race, it was quite interesting to see because um, I think it was Annika van der Breggen who won. Um, they were constantly riding in a very, very high gear. And that was interesting yeah, because if you're riding in a high gear, you, of course, save the fast with fibers. But she was actually doing that on the last climb. So um, she was winning kind of the race with a very high cadence, which is... Um, I don't know. Maybe it's more like it, I, I saw that in in, in, in the top level uh, women's which uh, uh, riders, so which was quite interesting. So no one was pushing a big gear. In, in men's racing, you see that still see that a lot of torque is used, and um, of course you can't sustain that for a, a, a long state uh, state race, yeah, because you're getting tired. But sorry for that uh, we come back uh, do i use cadence and especially torque and train yes of course and um how do i use it um if i want to um lower the like uh, the the vela max i use that because um um, um at, for example at sweet spot um um intensity yeah well, the idea is to 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 use more like uh, fast switch fibers fda um, um, to to make them weak and becoming more like the slow twitch fiber. So that's the idea. And um, if you want to make it easy, um, <clears throat> you can calculate uh, which torque do you have at, for example, VO2 max when I do like 95 cadence. So and can I implement that kind of torque in base training? Yeah, And uh, then you see, okay, uh, 
reverse calculate that and see, okay, if I do like 55 or 50 cadence, I have the same torque. And um, of course, I lose, uh, I use less oxygen because uh, lower cadence uses less oxygen. And, and then you uh, hope, to be, to be honest, you hope. And lower that power you, as well. Uh, yes, uh, yes. You hope that you fatigue the muscles you want to. Yeah. So yeah. this is how I use it. And uh, of course, in cycling, um, in men's cycling, um, if someone is attacking, you must be able to use high torque. Yeah. And, uh, to, especially in mountain biking. Yeah. You need high torque and we train that. And it gives you some economy in, in cycling. If you are able to push, uh, 400 watts with 60 cadence with a big gear and your, your, your knee lining is quite straight, you know, you, you don't lose power. So, and you can work with that. Yeah. In strength training and then, uh, in a gym or at low cadence, uh, uh uh, yeah in training yeah and and for <laughs> those that don't like to calculate things then this is actually pretty easy you can just uh, put a torque field on your on your garmin computer yes and, uh, oh so yes it's yes. pretty easy so so yeah. when you mentioned there that you can that uh, you would for example compare the torque at 90 to 95 rpm at vo2 max with what uh, and then calculate okay so what cadence do i need to do at sweet spot or even base training um do you think that a good reference point when you want to target those fast twitch the fda fibers is that sort of uh vo2 max intensity like that's sort of the torque the same torque that you want to replicate or do you sometimes go lower like to your typical threshold torque or or what's your take on that um it depends on um the villa max yeah um if i have like someone with a high glycolytic power so to say a high villa max um i know that he's using more fast switch fiber so we can go a little bit lower uh, so and uh, look at the the maximum lactate steady state compared to the vo2 max at a, at a high uh, glycolytic guy uh, you see there's a big big gap and if you have someone with a low you see they are quite closely uh, hmm. so i use uh, torque um um, 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 uh, with a high glycolytic guys and I want to lower that, I, I necessarily don't use um, the VO2 max. Maybe I go lower. Right? Yeah. So this is right. how I use it. <laughs> yeah. No, that makes makes perfect sense. Um, then some other, uh, yeah, moving into the part of the interview where we're having some general training questions. Uh, and uh, and then my, my next question is about intensity. Uh, what's mm -hmm. like your general opinion around how to include intensity in a training plan uh, in, and in terms of, for example, like how much can you do, how sustainable is it, and just your general thoughts around intensity? Um, intensity is important. Yeah? So, of course, we know that. Yeah, If you want to develop a good stroke volume, volume um, um, intensity is uh, necessary. Um, but... Uh, if we talk about intensity, a lot of people think about maybe heart rate. Yeah. yeah. So actually, this is actually what I like a little bit more and uh, wattage power output. But the problem is if you do, if you go to a lab and you have your maybe 400 watts at uh, VO2 max, it's not like you're going out and you're riding uh, 400 watts and then you are at your VO2 max. No, 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 no. This takes time. Yeah. 
maybe four minutes to reach that. Or maybe you do a sprint before that and then you do riding at maximal lactate steady state to reach your VO2 max. So um, mm, you have to do certain kind of intervals, maybe 40-20 or 30-30 to reach your VO2 max for a longer time because of um, the fast and slow component. Uh, as we know, um, for example, if you take a, a low glycolytic guy, 0.2, he is usually quite faster um, uh, at the VO2 max, or he's, he's, he is faster, and the, the high glycolytic guy takes some time, so he needs longer intervals in that. Yeah, Or maybe you do like a the Bilat intervals are quite famous with that. and uh, Or maybe you do some other things like uh, sprinting out and, uh, uh, and uh, try to sustain the power for three minutes. This, this also works. So, so intensity is important, especially if you want to develop the VO2 max. But this is maybe, maybe if we always talk about the VO2 max, um, um, you have to go hard. Yeah. So going at threshold and start with threshold you usually doesn't lead to the, the, the high VO2 max areas where you want to end up. Yeah. Uh, if you start with a sprint maybe and then go to a, a threshold power, then it can elicit the VO2 max and the, the, the certain power you want or the certain oxygen consumption. So um, this is actually the, the things that Steven Seiler talked about, yeah, this uh, black hole training going at threshold and sweet spot and hope for uh, a high VO2 max is, is, is not working. So he developed this kind of polarized approach, which is quite nice. Um, but uh, it's not, if we, we have this nice measurement of power, but we always have to keep in mind power is not, is, doesn't equal VO2 max use. It, 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 it equals VO2 max use in the lab. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, but not in real time. You need to, some time to um, to to get your VO2 max up. Yeah. yeah. So this is my point. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, how how many times a week would uh, you have somebody do uh, high intensity if they are in a block where they're developing VO2 max, and for how long would that block last? How many weeks? Two to three weeks, three times a week. All right. Yeah. And it's quite hard. Yeah. And um, so. Um, you always have the, the athletes have the tendency to off to to ride like in a they don't want to hurt so much yeah? and or they hurt themselves very hard and then rest for some time so um, you always um, accumulate stress you always have to keep that in mind you always have to to tell that you're you're your athlete so you're working and it's quite hard and you accumulate stress for a certain amount of time for for example two or three weeks. So maybe the first session feels okay, it's manageable. The second one is harder, and maybe the third one you do like uh, two days later is this is maybe he's fresher, but um, it's 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 even harder. Yeah. So on ever over uh, over three weeks time, the last one is very hard, and they are fatigued. Yeah. So, but I do three times, and uh, yeah, two to three weeks. Yeah, because then we have the fastest adaptations. Yeah, uh, and if you could uh, choose, if you could give just one workout uh, that a low glycolytic athlete would that you would recommend for a low glycolytic athlete, just as an example for the listeners, 
and one workout that you would recommend for a high glycolytic athlete? Can can you give those two examples? Um, always depends on. Oh, I'm sorry for that. Always depends. <laughs> no um, but um, low glycolytic, I would do like one and a half minute of, or maybe two minutes at VO two max power, and then switching to Vila max uh, to uh, maximal lactate steady state power output for about seven, eight, nine minutes, and do that three times, mm. maybe four times. Yeah, with with a high glycolytic, um, so. If I talk, for example, I have a high, uh, maybe professional athletes, he's doing like five times, seven minutes, 40, 20. Yep. So this works yep. quite fast. But both both of the systems works. And of course, the closer the, the, the race is, the harder you go. Yeah. You can even use runner start uh, intervals like 30, 15. Yeah. Mm. But I use it not like to, like to, to develop the capacity. Yeah. It's more like to develop the 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 the, the specific demands of a race. The, I, this is I like the thirty fifteens for like because it's very hard, mm. and the, the 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 athlete has to suffer. So I use it more like a peak, not to develop the capacity, the VO two max, because no one sustained that for three weeks and doing it three times a week, and uh, no no one likes that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next question: Nutrition in training and racing. What are your recommendations for that? We already heard some. You you should eat, <laughs> but uh, can you elaborate a bit? Yeah, always eat carbs. And um, if you do the calculations, for example, with Aerotune, you always see how much carbs you use. And of course, it's a calculation. You sometimes use more. You sometimes use less. So um, always eat. You get better adaptations. You don't get sick. You're not so tired. You don't have brain fog and things like that. Yeah. And you can be a kind of a normal person. Yeah. Um, um, it, 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 you don't need like fancy stuff. Yeah. So um, buy a five kilo of maltodextrin and use it for training. Putting in, I don't know, 40, 50 grams, depending on your Vila Max and your VO2 Max, uh, how much you use during uh, zone two training. And then uh, go riding. Yeah? And after training, also eat so that you don't get sick. But if if you want to, for example, lose weight, you always need a deficiency in, in calories. So um, you can calculate that. And maybe you go with 300 or maybe 500, depending on your body weight, of course. And um, if you go low carb, only for a short time. Yeah. If you yeah. want to, like the quick fix of Vila Max, under eat in training and uh, go maybe low carb. Yeah. And um, um, yeah, that's actually it. And I also recommend eating in training because, <laughs> uh, as we all know, if you don't eat in training and you're going four hours and you're hardly have eaten anything um, you start fantasizing about what you want to eat when you're at home and when you're at home you open up the refrigerator or maybe even worse you don't have anything at home you go to a supermarket so the first thing you do you grab the haribos and you're eating 200 grams of haribos which maybe end up in overeating and you gain weight even that you trained and your wheeler max is not adapting the way you want so i have seen Riders who are not eating in training, eating a lot after training. So Haribos, 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 uh, sugary stuff. 
and nothing happened at the Vila Max. Yeah. No adaptation on the Vila 2 Max, no adaptation on the Vila Max. So it was training for the garbage. Yeah. Yeah. A gr great summary. What, what do you say to people with that, that would uh, argue that, well, if I eat carbs in training consistently, then my fat oxidation will suffer or I will be carb dependent and, and I'm an oh, Ironman oh. athlete and I, I need to be able to oxidize fat effectively. What would you say to that? Uh, no, no, no. You always oxidize both of them. Yeah. So if, of course, there's a nice study. Um, I don't know from whom. I have to look it up. Um, maybe you go, you started and, 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 and on an empty stomach, you start an, uh, a workout in the morning uh, without eating anything, maybe a coffee. And after 30 minutes, you start eating some carbohydrates in training. There's hardly any change in fat oxidization. So um, uh, I have to look it up, the study, and I will send it to you. Yep. Or maybe it was a PhD work. I'm not sure about that. Um, so, um, no, I wouldn't. Uh, so this argue, uh, you can, if you show them the study, this argue is not working. But, of course, um, um, if you, you should not eat like... Uh, 30 minutes before your training because your blood level is uh, your blood sugar uh, level insulin is quite high so don't do that and also not like this famous uh, stop at the uh, gas station and eating uh, a lot of stuff and uh, half a liter of coca-cola as uh, this will also make you go up and down the blood sugar and um um Uh, also with like fructose, you have to be a little bit careful not to eating too much because this also have some kind of influences on your blood sugar, even in, 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 in intensity, yeah? uh, even in, in, during intensity. Um, so, um, I would go easy, buy some maltodextrin, play around with that, how much you can uh, eat of that without getting any problems. And, uh, in racing, of course, try to, to to eat as much as possible that is uh, that you can handle uh, and the, the, the problem is if you are not used to eat a lot of carbs during training you're not able to digest all these carbs in racing so uh, the bacteria and all these kind of uh, things uh, need to be trained with that uh, so if you go hardcore low carb you maybe lose the ability to digest carbs in a good way. So maybe you're only able to digest 60 grams an hour, which is nothing. Even with a low Vila Max, you're like, yeah. So, and and uh, maybe you can digest 120 grams. Yeah. And that even doesn't mean, uh, uh, that even is, isn't uh, uh, um, related how big or if you're male or female or whatever. I, I've seen a study that was quite, so they compared how much they can like digest Uh, and uh, use it for power output and was like a female athlete or I think it was a triathlete with 55 kilos she could uh, use 120 grams of carbohydrates per hour but yeah. she was used to that so in uh, pro level cycling so what what are we doing so of course maybe we go low carb but before we go to racing we start with high um, 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 carbohydrate intake during training so that they get used to that, especially fructose and stuff like that. So and everyone can do that yeah? by, as I said, maltodextrin, different kinds. So maybe D6, D19, so the fast and the slow ones, based on the monolocal level, mixing in some um, uh, maltodextrin, uh, some uh, fructose, 
and then you will see how you feel. Uh, yeah, train that. <laughs> I, I think in the last few years, things have really shifted in terms of what we look at as like adequate nutrition for things like like stage races and long distance triathlon and and it used to be like 60 grams is pretty good but now you say 60 grams is nothing and and i agree with you like it's yes, for yes. when we're talking about these kinds of endurance events then then like basically now we're looking at 90 grams as kind of a minimum but we're hoping to get up to 100 110 120 grams and, yes. and you sent me a, an example of your aerotune power test report and you actually have a nice chart there that shows your power theoretical power duration curve so how much power you can produce for different durations let's say yes. two hours four hours five hours depending on how much how much carbs you're consuming and and the difference yes. there between 120 grams and and 60 grams is is really really big when you get to that four yes. hour mark for example yes yeah, yeah. and um, and if you talk about triathlon uh, nutrition of course on the bike you 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 need to eat as much as possible uh, maybe 100, 120 grams because we can digest it because it's easier to digest because of two reasons. First, we use less muscle mass. Yeah? So we have more blood in our uh, digestive system and uh, we don't have this up and down oscillation problem. And um, if your stomach is full, full and you're getting up and down, so maybe you have get some problems with digestion. So, Fuel up during the bike ride and then on the run, see what you can handle. Maybe 60, maybe 70 grams. And there are some companies who, or one company who designed this kind of jelly thing uh, for running. So maybe this works. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. Um, next question. Uh, is there some particular area within endurance sports or, or sports science physiology that you're currently uh, researching a lot that you're fascinated by in, interested in generally and uh, so yeah can you just uh, explain what you might be interested in at the moment um actually it's adaptation and trainability um so this is a very fascinating topic and um it's it's uh, uh, I love it. And uh, I already played around with it and modeling a lot of things. So me and uh, Sebastian Schlurike from, uh, or, yeah, uh, the guy, uh, the, the, the man who invented Aerotune. <laughs> and um, so the, based on your age, your Vietomax, your Vlamax, and um, um, what are you able to achieve? So, and there are some studies and you, you find some very weird things about fishes swimming in circles, uh, young fishes, old fishes, and, uh, like mid age fishes. And there are some from a, from an anecdotal, anecdotal perspective, you see, oh, yeah, that is if I train a very young athlete, which I, I, I like to do to develop um, young athletes and see if they end up in some kind of national team or, uh, maybe world tour or something like that you see okay they can go very hard but only for one week maybe two weeks and then you have to be you have to take back and then maybe if you have someone who's quite established and very good he can do everything and with the older one you have to start very a little bit slower but they can sustain uh, quite long huh? so uh, this is what uh, me and sebastian are doing now um, to see if we can model First of all, the development of VO2 max, if if, it's, if that is possible. So we have like numbers from three-year-old 
And we have this nice um, study from this guy who is 104 year old. I think it's also done by Veronique Bila. Yep. Um, the VO2max test. So maybe we can fit some curves and we have some other curves. So maybe you can create something out of that. So that's uh, what I love to do. And of course, uh, uh, trainability Yeah, uh, based on that and um, uh, based on the, the, the numbers we get from cadence, uh, power output and then torque, heart rate and calculate the carbs we used and maybe getting out the, the, the phosphates we're using. So making a nice model to um, 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 calculate adaptation. So I, I, I started with that like five years ago and developed young athletes. So, and so how much intensity they should work on and how much volume they should do. And uh, then getting the data and seeing how's the stress level. Yeah. So how much time do they need to rest? And, um, Yeah, this is what I already have. But uh, the, the idea is to also implement that on AeroTune. Uh, this will take some time, of course. And um, yeah, this is what I really love. So development of athletes. That, that is, that <laughs> What's is, possible? <laughs> that, is, that is so cool. Do, do you have any sort of anecdotal or practical takeaways that the listeners can can already from the work that you have been doing in that in that area that they can take as a tip and and maybe help them in their training and development i think you always hear that from coaches work in a constant way this is really this is the key so you you, you don't sprint a marathon you just go slow but um Don't stop half the way. So what we usually see is that everyone can work for six weeks in a kind of concentrated way, and then they just fell apart, uh, fall apart, and they just say, "Okay, I don't do anything for two weeks because I've trained six weeks." But they, we lose so much adaptation. Yeah. Maybe do do a little less, and also like season breaks. I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah. So the the, the longest season break my athletes use is two weeks, not more. And then we start um, with um, some other work. Of course, they 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 don't want to be uh, they, they don't want to start cycling again and going long. And so we do other things like ski mountaineering, running, I don't know, stand up pedaling, whatever. But don't go too long. Uh, so especially in high level athletes, we see if they stop for two weeks, we lose due to stroke volume and all these other things. We lose quite substantial. Uh, power uh, at VO2 max, so don't go too long. Yeah, and uh, this is what I I always recommend. Yeah, structured, maybe doing only eighty percent of that, but in the long term you will achieve more than going always a hundred percent and fall apart in after six weeks. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is something I talk about like a couple of times per month, at least on this podcast. But I think that it's very common that athletes look at at how much they're training on a given week, but they uh, they look at their best week. So, oh, I trained 12 hours this week. It's pretty good. My training yes. volume is 12 hours. But then when you actually look at the entire year and you average out, so how much training did I do on average uh, in the year? And it was seven hours then like that's what you should be looking at the, how much did you yes. do on the like long time scale rather than the very short time scale of a week that was way above average for you 
and uh, yeah, and, and be consistent with with that. Um, so so let's talk a bit more about the specific uh, specifics of the Aerotune power test, where you can get mm-hmm. uh, get get test your VO2 max and your VLA max and get some of these things that we talked about, like the volume recommendations and so on. So so how does the test work? Can you describe that a bit? Yes. Um, so we we designed two tests, an indoor and outdoor test, and uh, we constantly develop these kind of things. And um, so the outdoor test, we do a sprint test, uh, a 20 second sprint test, then we do a four minute test, and then we do a, a, a 20 minute test. So we use these tests because everyone knows how they work. Or most of the, of the people who are doing it have kind of an idea. Huh? So, and uh, out of that, we calculate the, the, the VO2 max and the maximal lactate steady state and uh, the VLA max. So it's pretty simple. Yeah? Maybe you do it in two days. We could recommend that. We are also working on an, an, an another protocol, but maybe that's uh, I would tell you when when it's time. <laughs> and <clears throat> the indoor test we use um, a REM test, uh, twenty minute, uh, twenty watts per minute, uh, depending on um, what's your weight and stuff like that. Uh, maybe you start at eighty watts or sixty watts and going up, so that we have like a time of I don't know twelve forty minutes and reach the highest point. And then we have uh, also a 20-minute test and then we calculate it. Yeah. yeah. This is how it works. And uh, so what you do is you you take the files from, I don't know which platform you use or maybe directly from your um, um, Garmin or Wahoo, whatever you have, and then you upload it, it and uh, then it's uh, in a second later, it's automatically calculated and you have all your values. And due to the fact that um, there is not no one sitting and uh, looking at the data, it's, it's algorithms that are doing it, uh, we can make it quite yeah, cheap. Um, so for 25 euros, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really great uh, to make it available to uh, to to any athlete. Essentially, I love that pricing policy of yours, um, yeah. uh, and and also of course uh, you have the well the one the thing that I interviewed Sebastian Schlurike about back in the day in episode ninety what did I say ninety seven ninety eight you still have the aerodynamic testing of course as well yes. through the Garmin Garmin Connect IQ app that people can do outdoors. And yes. and I think I heard you talk on the Endurance Innovation podcast about maybe at being able to at some point combine the two so you can make like race pacing plans based on your aerodynamics oh, yes. and your metabolic yes. testing. Yes, um, this is a um, this is it sounds a bit easier than it actually is because we we uh, we, we already started calculating things and maybe um, um, what's the best pacing or power output on a special course and um, so uh, we had like a, um, an average power output and then we have like a dynamic and so there was not much difference so and then we have to start thinking about okay we have some phosphates in our body maybe we use that and accelerating and things like that so there are some studies from car engineering <laughs> and pretty good ones nice mathematical solutions so we use that at some point and um yeah so and uh, the, if you if you do a test a power test you always have um, um the aero test uh, uh, also included and uh, actually the aero test is for free even if you don't have uh, don't want to use uh, the, the power test and 
Yeah, and you can do the the te- the test uh, for uh, for a whole month. So what, as you know, as a coach, the problem is if someone is like overpacing, underpacing, and there's a car in front of you, and there's a truck, and uh, uh, the course was not very well chosen by the athlete, and you have to say, okay, sorry, we have to do it again. So um, we 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 give uh, the opportunity to test for a whole month. Uh, so if you messed up some test, um, you can do it again and again and again. Yeah. And if, if you want to see adaptation, that maybe that occur in th- three weeks' time, you can do that, yeah? Start with it, do some hard block training, VO2 max, and test again and see what happens. So this is the idea, mm. democratizing testing, yeah. so to say. Yeah. That's uh, yeah, that's fantastic, and and of course we'll have that all linked to in the show notes, so people can go and have a look. One thing we talked about in our previous conversation was the difference that you might expect in indoor versus outdoor testing. Can, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes, um, we always have um, heat accumulation and uh, things like that, inertia, and um, inorganic phosphates, and uh, this can end up in, in, in problems. Yeah. So um, you you have some power output you you can't produce or um, inside if you compare it with outside. Yeah. So and this also leads to um, to 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 to, um, to um, the intensity zones you maybe you should use inside. Yeah. Um, if you do a swift race or swift training you maybe should lower your power output due to core temperature and all these other things yeah and uh, yeah so this is these are the differences yeah? mm. so you can calculate um the uh, uh outdoor numbers indoor of course but is it useful to, to use indoor i'm not sure about that always yeah? so yeah so so basically ba- <laughs> basically the advice would be to uh test as you train like if you mostly train Outdoors and test outdoors and Te- vice versa. Yes, yes. Yeah. Test indoor and test outdoors, and then you see okay, there's a okay. there's yeah. there's there's a difference. Yeah. yeah, and and some athletes, yeah, if you have well trained athletes with maybe not the highest Vila max, they are pretty close what they can do indoor and outdoor. Right? Yeah, if you have someone and maybe not like maybe fifty five kilo um, or sixty kilo very less uh, very low body fat and a very high surface area compared to the size they are more able to produce these numbers inside than uh, uh, compared to someone who's like 90 kilos and has like 20 percent of body fat because of overheating for example yeah yeah yeah, yeah that, that makes makes perfect sense um uh, and uh yeah then just to to finish up before the rapid fire questions is there anything I should have asked you that uh, that I didn't? Anything that you think would be <laughs> interesting for the listeners to to hear about? Uh, no, I think we we covered a lot. The, of course, there are, there are many things we can talk more and in detail, uh, periodization and things like that. But um, this will <laughs> will take a, a, a long time, <laughs> yes, yeah. and, uh, and 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 I I'm sure we'll we will not find the right uh, answer to that because it's it's such a, a, a big field and there are so many explanations and ideas and actually everything works in some way. So and um, yeah, 
so Mao, I think we covered everything before we start. Uh, yeah, the rapid get... fire questions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's let's move on to them then. And uh, the first one is: What's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to endurance sports? Um, yeah, due to the fact that we have internet, I talked about that with my son a few days ago. Uh, you can look up everything. So I'm I'm I'm, I'm I don't have any special resource and. If there are some kind of website of you have research, uh, nice research websites and uh, things like that. So um, I, I'm pretty open with that. And you have some nice podcasts and blog and you read and, you know, people from Twitter and you look at the stuff they are doing. And so um, I don't have any special thing. And um, if it comes to books, um, I'm also not like... There's not this one book I I, I would recommend. Um, so I'm and uh, there's actually no sports science book or maybe one. The one from Mujica I like yep. a lot. Yeah. And um, because it's uh, you have like a nice overview and you have all the nice uh, um, 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 studies and you can look it up. So this is quite good. And um, endurance training, see- science and application. Yes. Is the name yes, of that. Uh, what a- what I also like is the one from Magnus, Science, yep, Science, Science of Running. Of running. Yep. Yes, and I, his podcast is also yep. quite nice. Yep. Because uh, what I like is um, he's pretty into science, so he's very good. But they always have like this human factor from training. And this is what I really like. Huh? So and you are, as a coach, you always have to keep that in mind. We don't train robots. And uh, another book is... Um, Surely you're joking, Mr. Feynman, and uh, stories from Richard Feynman, um, which I, I laugh a lot. If you want to know how real science works, not sports science, I mean like physics and stuff like that, you should really look that and uh, you see how the, 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 yeah, the, the most genius person maybe on earth the last century worked and he was always curious and you always have to keep that in mind so i, I like i really like that book a lot mm. and uh, i i don't know how how often i read it it's it's fun <laughs> that, that sounds great yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, next what's your favorite piece of gear or equipment uh, i thought about that a lot but uh to be honest, uh, there is, of course, we have heart rate, we have power uh, meters and stuff like that. But maybe getting a step back, and I see that in elite athletes, and there's no gear, but their own feeling, the, the RPE, if you maintain a good feeling of your body and what you're able to and how to push, this is this is uh, the ability to do that. There's no machine to do that, but... Uh, this would be if there is some kind of gear that it can can tell me my RP. This w- this would be it. Yeah. Uh, so and um, maybe the second one would be a heart rate monitor. Yeah. yeah. Because and uh, it gives me a direct feedback. A power meter is always like what put I in and not what I get out. Mm. Yeah. And finally, what's the personal habit that's helped you achieve success? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, complicated. Uh, I having a first of all fam, family first yeah. and uh, and the, the 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 person you're sitting beside on a sunday afternoon and watching a movie is more important than uh having a six a success in i don't know making money and stuff like that uh, so this doesn't uh, make you happy uh, the other thing is um 
of course, working like constant, uh, as I told you, and as I tell everyone, and don't be too focused. Yeah, life is not a straight line. So always, um, and not always going full throttle, just easy and maybe being lazy, just sitting in a corner, thinking about things for maybe two or three hours. I do that regularly. I do nothing. I just metabolize metabolize myself (laughs) and uh, start thinking and um, surround your people that you like. Avoid people that don't, uh, uh, they are not, that that are not funny because, uh, yeah, this is is not human. So uh, always have like someone around you that is funny and uh, uh, avoid people that are constantly talking about their success because, Usually they have a problem with themselves. So this is my life advice. <laughs> that, is, sure. that is fantastic life advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really <Yes. good. laughs> All right. Well, finally, uh, how can people follow you? Are you active on social media? Of course, we'll have the AeroTune links in the, uh, in the show notes. Do you have a coaching website perhaps? Can you tell, tell the listeners about where you might, they might be able to find you? Uh, I don't have any Twitter. Uh, of course, I have some. I have a Twitter, but I don't tweet. And uh, I, I have an Instagram, and I also have Facebook, but I hardly do put anything on that. Um, and um, but if someone is writing me something uh, uh, on Instagram, I, I reply, of course. But um, yeah, I don't have any coaching site. So yep. usually the people find me, and I'm, I'm happy with that. And uh, as uh, I'm more like a maybe quiet person um, i'm i'm yeah i don't i'm i'm not like yelling out yeah and um but i'm I, i'm always happy to talk so uh, don't be afraid of contacting me yeah. yeah yeah and i will have the links to to air tune so people can yes. can find that anyway so yes. the work that you do there with with sebastian yeah. schlurike is uh, is really great all right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Björn. This has been a fantastic discussion, and I think that uh, it will be really, really well appreciated by the listeners. So uh, thank you from me and on behalf of all the listeners. Thank you. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did talking to Björn, not just in this interview, but also we had a long chat uh, a week or so before conducting the interview. And uh, in these conversations, I've learned a lot from Bjorn. I would consider him a really a, a big authority when it comes to metabolism and and coaching in general. Super knowledgeable and a super nice guy at, as well. So really the highest respect for him. I have a lot of links in the show notes for those interested in learning more uh, to Aerotune's website and social media where you can check out the Aerotune power test if you're interested in that. As Bjorn said, it's uh, it's a really really quite cheap test. So it's a great a great thing that Aerotune are doing with democratizing the access to high-level testing. I'll also link to the Endurance Innovation podcast that I mentioned where Bjorn was first interviewed, and thanks to Michael and Andrew for doing that interview because that's how I found out about Bjorn in the first place. And I'll link to my episode, my interview that I did with Sebastian Schlurike, who is the Aerotune founder, and that was back in episode 90. And also to the interviews I've done with Sebastian Weber and Jan Olbrecht, where we have discussed things like VLMX and VO2max before if you want to dig deeper into uh, into the whole physiology and metabolism uh, discussion that we had with Bjorn today. 
Finally, if you're interested in coaching services or training plans, do check out what we have to offer on scientifictriathlon.com. Uh, we really think that we can help athletes of uh, all different levels uh, help achieve whatever your goals may be, whether you're a seasoned pro or you are a beginner athlete getting started in endurance sports. And big thanks to our sponsors, Roka, that you can find on roka.com. Check out Roka's wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses, and get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. And thank you to Zen8. Use the Zen8 Swim Trainer to improve your technique, power, and stamina, even when you don't have time to go to the pool or pools are closed and getting that extra frequency of stimulus with short but effective workouts at home. You can get 20% off your order on senateswimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon. <laughs>